Welcome to the Building Bridges podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith transition can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature both perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! Hey Bridge Builders, Taylor here. I just wanted to get on quickly and thank you all so much for all of you that thought about leaving me a review. Now, this time I'm just hoping that you will carry that thought through to fruition and actually leave it. That'll make such a difference. Also, a reminder that we love hearing your own tidbits and takeaways on our Facebook page for those of you that have Facebook and want to participate. Um, Enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome, Bridge Builders. We are having a new episode today called The Opportunity Not to Judge, or should I say Condemn. More information on that to come. And I want to welcome my uncle-in-law, Scott Fellows, onto the podcast. Say hello, Scott. Hi. Nice to be here. That is true. So your husband, Jeff, is my sister's son. So Jeff is my nephew, and you are married to my nephew. So I guess you're my niece-in-law I don't know how that works Scott will you talk to us about your relationship with the church as an institution and anything else you want to say as a way of introducing yourself sure so I as I mentioned am uh, my older sister is Jeff's mom and I have um, been a member of the church born in the 70s grew up in the 80s and um, just had the church around me growing up one of five kids. My dad was in the bishopric. Um, I always felt a lot of love with my family, but I also felt a lot of the, I, I felt like it was strict sometimes, but it never really seemed to bother me. Every just Everything just seemed very natural. I grew up in the Salt Lake area and I would say 90% of my friends were LDS. And when I got to high school, I was in a big group of friends of about 15 or 20 of us. We all went to seminary together. We all were in choir together. Um, so for me growing up, I really didn't have any kind of bad temptations. There was never any drinking. There was none of us swore. We just were all just really clean cut kids in this Utah bubble. And it just seemed very normal. However, for me, I didn't know what the word gay meant, but I knew there was just something different about me. Um, Nowadays, there's gay characters on every TV show and everywhere you look, there's some sort of mention of the gay community. But back then in the 80s, when I was in high school, there was really none of that. So um, it was very something that I kept very private. I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really know what it was and I didn't understand really what it meant. But I think I started to realize that I had same sex attraction in high school, but I even remember being younger and having um, not so much an attraction, but when um, like my friends' dads would like say, good job, Scott, or just kind of give me a little bit of attention or affection, it, w- it was just the weirdest endorphins for me. And it wasn't in a sexual way, but I just remember just feeling so much credibility when I got that kind of affirmation from like one of my friends' dads. 
I remember being in third or fourth grade in elementary school and we had a guest speaker. I think he was a policeman or a fireman or something. And when the class was, when he was done speaking to our class, he needed to volunteer to help him take stuff to his car, which I did. And um, when I helped him load everything up, he shook my hand and said, thank you, Scott. And I just remember walking back to my classroom thinking, wow, that was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And I, I don't know why I felt that way, but I remember that like, you know, very vividly. So I graduated from high school. I went on a mission because that was just kind of the thing that all my friends were doing. I went to the Philippines and I was there for two years. And um, being in an Asian country, I, it was just so culturally different that kind of hiding any kind of same-sex attraction was actually pretty easy on my mission. Um, I was so much, I was just so focused on being a missionary and I served my two years and came home. And um, then I think that's kind of where the struggle began was when I came home from my mission. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that, if I've said too much or too little, but that, that's kind of my growing up in a nutshell. I think that's a great growing up nutshell. Okay. And I think you could continue to say on, tell us a little bit about your journey um, and how you stand in terms of the church in this present day where your life has taken you. I should have introduced okay. Scott, like Scott is our first openly gay member on in a podcast episode and he is happily married to Carrie. Yeah. So they've got kids together. Tell us a little bit about where right. you are right now. Okay. Well, so fast forward. Um, I, I was very, very closeted. If that's, I guess that's a, a good word to say. I could never say the word gay. Um, when I came out to my dad, who was in the bishopric at the time, um, I, I could not say the word gay to him. It just had such shame surrounding that word. So I told him that I was bisexual, which for some reason was an easier word for me to say to my dad. Um, but the, the funny thing is, is um, in my early 20s, I got a job um, working in a reservation center for an airline. And then that airline was looking for flight attendants. And so I, I applied and, and um, got the job as a flight attendant. And one of my coworkers at the reservation center said, so now you're going to be a flight attendant. Does this mean you have to start dating gays or dating guys now? And I said, what do you mean? Well, I don't understand that. He said, oh, yeah, it's just kind of a stereotype that a lot of flight attendants are gay. And I had no idea growing up in Salt Lake City. I had never heard that before. So that was just kind of a, a weird coincidence that I came into that career. Um, and then I was a flight attendant for about, oh, 10 years or so. And I got to the point where I was in my thirties and I just thought, you know, I'm just never going to have kids. I'm never going to be with anybody. So I guess I really tried to build relationships with my nieces and my nephews, because I just figured that's where my fatherly relationship is going to be. That's all I'll really have. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I met this guy named Carrie. He's also a flight attendant. And when I first met him, I just thought he looked so, his hair was done. He had a necklace and bracelets. He just looked so good. And I thought, oh, well, he's obviously gay. He just looks too, too good. <laughs> and um, come to find out he was actually married and had three kids. And I was a little bit shocked by that, but I thought, okay, well, you know, nice to meet you. We just did a one day trip together and I shook his hand and said, you know, hope to see you again sometime. Well, six months later, I bumped into him again and we had seen each other kind of in passing. He didn't tell me that when we flew together, he was actually separated and he was getting divorced. And that was just kind of something that he wasn't really telling anybody. But then um, we kind of started seeing each other more. He was telling me about his divorce. He actually was LDS as well. 
he went on a mission. He was married in the temple and had three kids. And so I just thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. I kind of thought that's where my life was going to go. And, you know, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so then um, we just kind of started bumping into each other more. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm leaving. Um, I was going on a vacation. And I said, when I come back, you know, maybe we can hang out sometime. He said, yeah, that'd be great. And so um, I met up with him and it was, it's been now 15 and a half years ago since this happened. Carrie and I have been together for that long. And um, we just really kind of hit it off. He, at that time, was recently divorced. He had also been struggling with same-sex attraction. We both had our LDS background. So just the two of us just tried to figure out, you know, is this what, is this God's plan? Is this what we're supposed to do? And I think we just kind of felt like it was right for us. And Mm -hmm. he had three kids. So I kind of became stepdad to his three kids. And um, the more and more we spent time together, we just thought, you know, I think this is just going to be the way it is. And so we um, have been together ever since I proposed to him. We were on a vacation in Mexico and the sun was setting one night and I did the stereotypical, I got down on one knee and I proposed to him and I asked him to marry me and he said yes. And then um, I also told him that I really wanted to have kids of my own. He was completely on board. And so we joined a surrogate agency and we have two kids through surrogacy and Theo is 10 and Maya is seven. And um, we got married the day that it became legal for same-sex marriage in Arizona. And that was coincidentally two weeks after Maya is born. So we've been together for 15, but we've been legally married for about seven and a half. Okay. Yeah. So, I think I've never heard that whole story. So that was oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. good information. Was there yeah. any sort of transition of faith that correlated to that, that you found surprising or just as personal to you that you want to share as well? Well, I think when I was about 22, 23, just being a new return missionary, thinking my next step in life, I really tried, I dated quite a few girls and I, you know, I was fine with that. I never had any kind of sexual temptation. I just thought, you know, we're going to date and I'm going to find somebody and and it's just going to work. I'm going to get married and it's just going to work. That was just what I thought. And then after doing that for about a year, I just kind of started going into this depression and I thought, you know, this isn't working. I want to be married. I want to get married in the temple and I want to have a wife and I want to have kids. But something in the back of my mind just said, you know, this isn't fair. If I were to get married, it would be completely unfair to that girl because I knew that I was going to have this looming same-sex attraction in the back of my mind forever, and it just wouldn't be fair. So I kind of went inactive for a little bit. I just thought, i got to figure this out. I talked to my bishop, and it was always just met with all this negativity and shame. There was never any kind of, oh, it's okay, you know, you'll work it out. It was always follow the commandments, you know, fast and pray, and this will just work itself out. And I, you know, really diligently tried that for a year. And unfortunately, it never went away. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was when I made the decision. I just thought, you know, I really am going to be depressed and unhappy, but I'll still keep going to church. Or I can make my life with it the best that I can, and I can just be happy. And I made the decision to leave the church and just really try and focus on my self-worth and try and spread my happiness in a different way without being part of the church. It looks like you are, from my perspective, you're in a good place now. You're not bitter or anything. Tell us how yeah, you get to that um, point. Th- things are, are really, really good. And I think the fact 
that Carrie is also was raised LDS. I think we kind of have a really common core between the two of us. Neither of us have any kind of negativity towards the church. We both know the church's rules. We know um, that we are not living those, those guidelines. So we have no reason to be upset. We, it's funny when we moved into the neighborhood where we are now, we live in Phoenix now. Mm -hmm. And um, where we are, we thought, okay, here these dads are moving into this house with these kids and we're probably just going to be just shunned and nobody's going to talk to us. And it's been 100% the opposite. We have got so many friends, kids come over here. We have sleepovers. It's nobody thinks of us any differently. And it's really the same thing with both of our families. We thought coming out to our families and having, you know, so many of our family members be active in the church what kind of reaction we were going to get. And nobody even looks at us differently. We're just like, you know, there's Jody and Ryan and Steve and Leslie and Scott and Carrie. And it's just, it just, nobody treats us differently at all. So we are very happy. We're very fortunate. You know, our kids are just amazing. And I'm, you know, the father that I never thought I would be. I'm the husband I never thought I would be. And it's really just, I'm just in such a good place in my life right now. I think one of the things I love so much about your situation is the fact that like you didn't have any sort of major problems coming out to your families that you were so well accepted. And I think that's why you're a great candidate for our podcast episode, because you have this bridge that didn't burn. And yeah, what do you think the secret was in that? If there is a secret per se? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm so blessed with my family. My family has just been so great to me. And like I mentioned before, I had a really hard time telling my dad. Unfortunately, he passed away before I met Carrie. And so Carrie and my dad never really met each other. But but um, coincidentally, my dad also became a flight attendant and Carrie knew who my dad was, but they had just never met. So that was just kind of a, a, a weird circle of events that never really came to pass. However, um, when I kind of came to, to grips with who I was in my 20s, I still had all this LDS shame I don't know if that's the right term, but I had, I carried this guilt and this shame and this burden for years. I lived by myself. I didn't tell anybody constantly, you know, my friends were like, wait, when are you going to get married? And when are you going to have kids? And I just had this shame. I just said, well, it just hasn't happened yet. So it was a long road to get to where I am now from my twenties, you know, to my thirties all the time people would ask me if I was married and I could tell them, Oh no, I'm gay. Or I don't have a wife. I mean, that was literally like embarrassing and shameful. And Mm -hmm. I had the hardest time dealing with that. And I think once I met Carrie and we, we figured out that we were going to be together. I think I just had kind of a self-reflection moment where I just thought, you know, I don't need to be ashamed of this. Carrie is the person that I love. Carrie is the person that I'm going to be with. And if you want to accept that, that's, you know, that's great. I would love you to meet him. He's such a great guy. But if you have a problem with that, I'm not going to judge you for that because it took me a long time to get to where I am now. And I can't expect people to be at my level of comfort when it's kind of new information for them. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it did, it's worked out great now with our families being so accepting of us, but it took me a while to have the courage to say, Hey, I, I'm not dating women. I'm actually dating a man and we're, you know, going to get married. And I mean, it was, it was weird. 
you know, my family was not ready for it, but everybody kind of had their own personal acceptance roads and their own journeys. And everybody has just really come across just giving us nothing but love. So we're very, very fortunate. I love what you said with the whole, you know, it took me a long time to be at peace with this new mental paradigm shift. And I Mm -hmm. am not expecting anybody else to arrive at where I am, but took me so long. I think that could be part of the key, you know, in some of those situations, just giving people time and then the extension of love. I think those are really good little tips of advice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the topic today, um, I'm calling the opportunity not to judge. And Mm -hmm. the reason I came up with this title, honestly, most of the time I am looking like the person that I am, meaning I'm looking like the mother of a two-year-old and an eight-month-old and walking around with my t-shirt inside out and backwards and have done my hair in a long time, you know, and I'll like Uh grocery store. And I'm like, you know what this is people, this is just an opportunity for you not to judge (laughs) like me existing in the world, looking like how I look. Oh, it's just an opportunity for you not to judge. And kind of at a deeper level, I think that really is what it is when we look at all of God's children on the earth, all of the time, living a little differently than you or looking a little differently than you. You know what? This is an opportunity for you not to jump to a conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and sadly, I hate to tell you this, but as your kids get older, it, that doesn't go away. The other day with my shirt on and said, I, and I didn't even realize, I think it, to get kids out the door and looking decent with their teeth brushed and their clothes sort of, sort of matching, that's just an accomplishment. And I don't care if I throw on a shirt and throw on a hat and, you know, that will never go away just to give you, <laughs> give you a warning <laughs> as a, as a parental, yeah, you'll, that is, you'll see that <laughs> that's something to look forward to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, when I was looking into more about this topic, I kind of dug a little deeper and I thought to myself like, well, what does it mean to judge? And honestly, when I looked it up, what I found was society uses the word judge incorrectly. Um, Uh Oh, you're so judgmental. You're so judgy of me. Why are you so judgy? The word that they are meaning to say is you are condemning me because Uh the definition of judge is to infer, to think, or to hold as an opinion, to conclude about, to assess, to make an informed rational conclusion after weighing many factors. Uh, To Uh judge is just to be, you know, uh, assessing things basically. However, Uh to condemn the definition I found there is to pronounce unfit to doom, to eternal punishment in hell, to declare uncurable. I think that's just been misunderstood in society. Mm -hmm. And so with those kind of terms put out in their defined definitions, as I have so done, when we Uh talk about, you know, judging people, you have to ask, is there value in judging others? You're all probably expecting this episode to say like, we're not going to judge people anymore. And there's no, there's no value in judging people. But, you know, when you look at these new definitions, to judge means to assess and to hold an opinion about or to conclude something. So, mm-hmm. you know, bouncing this off the top of your head, what do you think the value is in judging people? Uh, for me, like, like I said, without having a, a formal definition of the word judging, for me, I think it's looking at someone and if they aren't meeting my criteria whether my standards are high or low if they're not meeting my criteria i think that's where i would have the tendency to judge someone mm-hmm. and i think you know maybe from growing up none of my friends smoke none of my friends drink so the first time i saw somebody with a cigarette i just my immediate 
you know, judgmental. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that person's smoking. I think it's just the, the first thing that I do or what I think of as judging somebody is you see somebody acting differently than you. And that gives you an opportunity to assess their situation. And I think that's something that I will admit that I did that when I was, you know, first home from my mission, I thought anybody who's not living the church standards as high as me, I was very judgmental as a return missionary. So I think it's a really easy thing to do, but I think you also need to realize that it's not that important. You know, I, I think as I've gotten older, I've becoming, I've become so much more accepting of people and less judgmental. And I feel that's just not necessary. If they're not hurting me or they're not hurting my family, then I, I don't really feel that it's anything that I need to take time doing. I think it's good that you kind of break it down and say like, well, what, what does it mean when we judge people? And I, um, I don't want to give myself a label. It's like, oh, I'm such a judgmental person because you know, mm-hmm. person that has been judgmental before, but that doesn't define me right now. But I right. have also like seen someone and I thought that's, that's below my standards or something, you know? And when, when I do that, I, what I'm doing is I'm comparing my standard to a standard that isn't expected of them. They might not have the same standards as me. Why am I using my standards as a measuring stick for them, you know? And I think that's just kind of what happens. And it's so natural for people to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, It's just our, our human tendencies to say like, well, because this is what I know my expectations are in life. Everybody knows what I know. And we just have to kind of take a step back and remind ourselves that we all come from a different place and we don't all have the same expectations for what is moral or what is immoral. So those standards as a measuring stick kind of just become opportunities to, to judge people or to condemn them and say, well, gee, you're not as good as me. When in right. reality, I don't think that that's the intention of standards, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What, what do you think the intention of standards are? Just kind of spin in that thought. Well, I think it's funny because um, when I look at someone, you know, out of the store or, or, you know, being that I'm in the airport all the time, I see hundreds of people every day. So it's very easy for me to have this quick, immediate judgment of someone mm-hmm. based on who they're with or uh, their behavior or what they're wearing. It's, it's very easy to have this initial judgment. And I really have got to take a step back and say, I haven't spoken to this person. It's not fair of me to make some kind of judgment based on side alone. And so being, you know, in the customer service industry, I'm able to speak to these people and um, nine times out of 10, everybody is so nice. And I thought, wow, that they're not the type of person that I thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be very almost dangerous in a way to have these um, sight only judgments of people because, you know, many times I admit I've been very wrong in my initial judgment. Oh, absolutely. You just reminded me of like the most beautiful story that I just thought of. And it's not in my notes or anything, but once upon a time. So there was just me and my little brother Davis. And I was probably five or six. And Davis was about three or four. And Davis has severe okay. special needs. And, you know, I might have the ages totally wrong. I could have been like 10. But um, basically, no <laughs> okay. matter no matter what his age was, his mental capacity has always been at the level of about a two-year-old. So 
Um, that's why I correct and say the age isn't quite as important, but he might've been functioning as a three or four year old for the sake of the story in terms of his okay. brain development. And I don't remember if we had just moved in or the people down the street had just moved in, but the people down the street came into this home and it was clearly a drug home. And my mom made an instant snap decision about like the people in that home, like my children are never going to go into that home. I got to make sure that like, I never let them walk down the street towards that area unaccompanied. You know, the people in that home aren't going anywhere near my kids, kind of a snap judgment, you know, because uh-huh. it smells bad. And like the way that they dressed coming in and out, uh, she's just, just like, mm, not, not around my children. And then one day in winter, like it was cold, somehow Davis got lost. He got out either the back gate or the front door. He was just gone and nobody knew where he was. And we were obviously just freaking out and you know, dropped to our knees, saying all the prayers, calling the police, calling the neighborhood, the neighbors, everyone was out searching. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was the man that lived at the drug house was the first person to come upon this little kid walking around barefoot in the middle of winter in his pajamas. I, I think the story goes that he was driving down the road and saw Davis and he's like, Hey kid, where are your parents? And, you know, Davis just looks at him, doesn't respond because he's nonverbal. Um, mm-hmm. And that man took Davis and he put him into the car and he warmed him up and he helped him and took him, I think, to the police station until people could find him. And my mom went to pick him up. And it was just such this wake up call to her that Mm -hmm. she had made this judgment about this man that she would never want her kids around him. And he was the one that was really the angel that saved her baby when she couldn't help him, who was there to help. And it was just this lesson that she felt that like God said to her, like, see what you did there. Like, (laughs) see what you did there and see what he did there. And oh my gosh, I think that I can't believe I didn't think of it earlier to put my in my notes because that is a really, really impactful story for our family about the importance wow. of not judging people on their appearance. Wow, that's amazing. <sighs> yeah, it is. That's really inspiring to, you know, kind of not really put your judgments in check, but just to have someone that you feel is not really at your standard or someone that you don't want to associate with really kind of do something great. I, I think that that's amazing when something like that happens. Yeah. And I think, I think that the reason that that happens is we'll see somebody, we make a snap judgment about them and then we compartmentalize them into a group. And I think that's normal for our minds to compartmentalize because that's what we do. That's what our brains are for. And mm-hmm. we think, okay, because this person is a druggie, they also are a rapist and they also are like just every other bad thing that is against right. your standards. You just clump it together and it doesn't yes. really go like every single person is a person. And I think that's what, um, snap judgment. That's what, why it gets out of hand. And that's why it's bad is because you just put all these assumptions and you pile them up on one person based off one thing, you know, about them. And it right. totally clouds you and blinds you from seeing, all these other things about that person, like, oh, did you know that this person also plays the flute, which is kind of random, but I think, right. uh-huh. like, uh, do you watch The Office? I do. Okay. Do you remember the part where like the IT guy is in there and Michael Scott's like, okay, well, what's your religion? And he's like, well, if you want to reduce my entire personality <laughs> to my religion, I'm a right. But I also play this instrument and do this on the weekends and this, this. And I think that was like a good way to put in check. Like, yes, this is one thing that like this label doesn't define every single part of me, 
And when you right. take one label and define every single part of me, it takes away all the other things about me that are important. If that right. makes sense. Absolutely. And it's funny too, because in, in uh, my situation now, I, you know, because I'm happily married and have kids, I don't think that we're being judged. I, I just think we are very, very normal. But it's funny because we'll take the kids to school every day. We'll be, you know, getting on an airplane. We'll be out of the store. And if I come out of like my consciousness for a second and I look around, I see people staring at us all the time because people see these two dads and these two kids and they're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, are they like married? Is that maybe like a dad and his kids and maybe uh-huh. the other guy is his brother? But I just see like this mental calculation on uh-huh. faces around me when I really choose to look at it. Right. And at the, at the first couple of times I saw it, my immediate um, reaction was to get angry and think, what are you staring at us for? What is, what is it that's, you know, and the funny thing is, is now it gives me the opportunity. Do I have to judge that person because mm-hmm. they're staring at me or can I just prove to them that we're, so it's almost like a, a a reversal of a judgment, Absolutely. if that makes sense. I love Where that I, you are that. Yeah, I love you're doing that. Yeah, so I can, I can turn it back and I'll say hi to that person. I'll, you know, talk to them, just whatever, just do a friendly gesture. And I can see the change in their face just from their initial, like, who are these people and these two dads and these two kids to like, oh, wow, they're a nice family. You know, yeah. so it, it's funny that I don't have to be defensive anymore. I can, you know, do a, a judgment reversal and really I can see the change in somebody's mind. So that's interesting that with judging that that's kind of a, a thing that goes along with it as well. Well, absolutely. It's a two way street. And I love that you are at a place where you can do that. And, you know, I don't mean to like downplay your initial reaction of anger, but isn't it almost kind of a silly thing to be angry at that they would be, you know, mentally calculating while they look at you? Like, well, it's kind of a silly thing to be angry about when you think about it. Oh yeah. And see, I've always had like the, the Papa bear syndrome. I'm like in fight or flight mode or I was. I always was prepared that if anybody ever said anything to me or to my kids, I was just going to rip them a new one. I mean, like I've always been ready to attack. I've always been ready to be on the defense. And I think I finally realized, well, for one, that's never happened. Nobody has ever said anything derogatory to me or to my kids in front of me. So that, that defense mechanism that I've always had, I realized that there's really been no need for it. So now that I am not defensive anymore, I have, I, I agree that there's really no reason to be upset over what somebody else thinks of me because I don't care what people think of me. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me and my life and my family. Anybody's welcome to have their own opinion. And there's no reason for me to have my day ruined over what a stranger thinks of me. So yeah, you're correct. There's, there's really no reason for me to be affected by someone else's judgment. 
I think that's pretty impressive. That's something I say all the time. Like what other people think of me is none of my business, but for mm-hmm. me, it's a lot easier said than done. So you got to teach for me sure. a secret because <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's still so yeah. hard. Well, was- like I said, it it's never happened. But I think if it does happen, if someone offends me, you know, in front of my kids or says something about, you know, my kids having two dads, I think my reaction is going to be a lot different. But just because it's never happened, it doesn't mean that it's never going to happen. But I think I can control the way that I react versus 10 years ago, I would have been a crazy person probably. But I, I just don't see the need for that now because what someone thinks of me doesn't affect me at all. Fantastic. It's a great segment. Yeah, of course. So, so is this going in the direction that you're wanting it to go? Do you feel like we need to like bring the church into it more or? I think it's going great so far, but I am about to bring the church into it. So, okay. I'm glad you asked because I was actually going to read some, some little spot, I don't know, topic from the gospel Mm -hmm. topics about judging others. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. So um, in terms of like, going religious. I know that you and Carrie have had periods where you were going to church with your kids and you took your kids to church and then you had periods where you don't go to church. And yeah, would you classify yourself as uh, right now in terms of caring about the content I'm about to read to you? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as I, I had to label ourselves, I would just call us inactive members. And there you are going with the label, which we just discussed with like reducing a person. Right. Actually, it's funny because um, Jeff is studying for the CPA exam and I was listening to his notes about like gathering analysis and like gathering your data. And I just had the thought that when you label somebody or you make a snap judgment about them, you're not <laughs> seeing the whole scope of the population. Your, your population sample is flawed. It's not representing. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So anyway. Well, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk about. I'd be happy to talk about our experience of like how we went from going to church to not going to church. I mean, I, so I just didn't know if you wanted me to talk about that or not, but I'm, I'm more than happy to, if you want me to. You're more than welcome to. And then that might give us an idea of where you stand. And then I will read to you from the gospel topics and that might just help give us a little bit of your perception. Well, so I think about five years ago, six years ago, maybe Carrie and I, made the decision that we were going to go back to church. And the funny thing is, is when we moved into our house, we actually went to a couple of churches that were, you know, a couple miles away just Mm -hmm. to kind of see where our ward boundary would be. But it was, it was a little bit intimidating to, you know, show up to walk into a church and say, Hey, we just moved into the neighborhood and we're just kind of curious when, you know, churches and what time and what ward boundaries were in. And I'm sure people were thinking, wait a second, who are these two guys asking? Darts? It was just really odd. But uh-huh. um, we, we met some members that lived in our neighborhood and I'm not even sure how that happened, but we just started meeting people and they said, oh yeah, we're LDS. And we somehow got, we had home teachers come over and we just really were so welcomed in our ward here in Phoenix. That's fabulous. And, and Carrie and I just thought, this is the weirdest thing. I mean, we were getting invited to like elders quorum activities and there's um, trunk retreats for Halloween. Kids were invited to that. I mean, it, it was just, we really got, um, I don't know if we were being like secretly fellowshipped or something, but uh-huh. I mean, we were so warmly welcomed. And so we started going to, um, to church, Carrie's older kids at the time were probably like 17, 15, and 13. 
And then Theo and Maya were around, I don't know, maybe four and one, something like that. And so every Sunday we were going, the kids were going to primary, you know, the, the older kids were going to their young men, young women and whatever. And it, it went on like that for probably a good year. And it, you know, no one, everybody knew who we were. There were some people that, that didn't talk to us and we didn't know them. And I've never thought they're purposely not talking to us. There was just a lot of people that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But um, then, and I'm horrible at, at dates, but I just remember that um, a general comp, there was a general conference and one of the speakers um, was talking about eternal families. And he made this comment about corrupt families and counterfeit families trying to take away the sanctity of eternal families. And Carrie and I just looked at each other and we're like, well, he's talking about us. And so that just kind of bugged me a little bit, but I thought, you know, again, it doesn't affect me. That's someone's opinion. uh, Or I mean, that was just like a, that was spoken in general general conference, but it, it didn't like really trickle all the way down to us. And um, so I actually made an appointment with the bishop and I just said, you know, when I went in and spoke to him and I said, do I have a place in this ward? Am I like making you uncomfortable having our family come to your ward? And he said, no, it's quite the opposite. He said, I have heard nothing but good things. So many people have told me that they're glad that you guys are coming to church. And so I thought, okay, you know, it's, I guess we'll just keep going and see where it goes. And then I think a year later, another announcement came out that said any children under the age of 18 that resided with same-sex parents could not get baptized until they turned 18 and they denounced their parents. And I thought, wait a second, what is this? Mm -hmm. And so that really just shook us because I think at the time, um, Theo was, I don't know, maybe six. And we, Carrie's older kids had all been baptized. Um, Carrie's dad baptized them. And that was just kind of the plan that Grandpa Clyde was going to baptize Theo when he turned eight. And now hearing that Theo couldn't get baptized, even though he was going to church, and even though he was, you know, following the church standards as a six-year-old, now all of a sudden, because of his parents, that opportunity was being taken away from him, and it had nothing to do with his choice or his decisions. And that really was hard for us. And so we kind of had to take a step back and say, listen, this is something that we knew going into, we know the church rules. We were both, you know, raised in the church and we knew that this could potentially happen, but we, we really couldn't be that upset, but we kind of made the decision to stop going because I knew that when Theo got into CTR class and when you turn eight, you know, you get your CTR ring or, I mean, and, and they, they really build up to it. I remember when I turned eight and I got baptized, it was like really a big thing. And I thought, how can we let all of Theo's classmates, oh, it's so exciting, you're eight, you get to get baptized, and now it's your turn, you get to get baptized. Oh, yeah, but not you, Theo, you don't get to get baptized. And I thought, I can't do that to him. That would devastate him. And so that's when we decided that we were not going to go to church anymore. Because granted, like I said, it, it has everything to do with Carrie and I in our living situation, but it has nothing to do with Theo. And I just felt like for him to be publicly punished like that as an eight-year-old, I just thought, I just can't do that to him. So we made the decision to go back to church and then we started, or excuse me, to leave the church. And then we started getting messages from 
all of our friends who were members and who were not members. So many people were angry. A couple people in our ward said that they were going to go talk to the bishop and they'd be willing to turn in their temple recommend because they did not agree with it. And I thought, you know, it's great that you guys are being so supportive of us, but it's not right for you to give up what you believe because of something that you disagree with. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were also so many people that said, well, this is a great thing because then when they turn 18, then they can really make the decision if that's what they want. And I just thought, how can you say that to me when your kids are going to get baptized at eight? Why don't you wait until your kids turn 18 and see if you have that same opinion? So it really just kind of threw us into this tailspin of getting all this information, all this negative criticism. Um, A lot of our families just said, well, I'm sure they'll they'll make an exception for you guys. And I thought, well, why would they? They don't have to do that. I mean, granted, if they allow Theo to get baptized, then they're going against the new teachings of the church and they can't do that either. So that was the time where we just thought, you know, this just, this just isn't going to work for us. And then I think a couple of years later, they came back and said, well, we're going to retract that statement and now kids can get baptized. And so our families were like, oh, yay, great. Now you can go get Theo baptized. But I think for us, the damage had been done a little bit. The hurt had been kind of thrown at us a little bit. So we have decided not to return to church. So in kind of in correlation with this whole topic about being judged, I know a lot of people think, well, why aren't they coming back to church? You know, everybody told them that it's okay. You know, things are fine, but it's just, I just think it's kind of our, what's just working for us right now is, you know, I feel like we don't really belong there. I feel like we kind of jumped in a little bit too quick. And that's fine because like I said, you know, we, we understand the teachings and the doctrines and the rules of the church. And unfortunately at this point, it's just really not the place for us. So that's just kind of where we are. Carrie and I have no anger towards the church. I don't have anything bad to say about the church. I'm so grateful that I was raised in the church. So many foundations and fundamentals that I was raised with, I still hold very deeply in my life. But as far as Going to church, unfortunately, that just doesn't work for our family right now. So that's just kind of where we're at with all of that. I really like the way that you kind of navigate, I don't know, just like so much respect for those who believe differently. And one thing that I think is impressive is just the way that you're like, I, I understand that these are the expectations and we're not meeting them. And therefore, what reason do I have to be bitter Right. Which I think is really, really mature and interesting. Um, I want to keep talking about expectations because I think that's a lot about where, where judgment kind of comes from. It's like, well, here's a standard, here's an expectation. Uh I think that's kind of where judgment can sometimes originate. And so I do want to read this thing from the gospel topics, but my mind is going to the expectations thought first. So let me just take you here. My thoughts, I'm not really good with words, so I'm a little bit all over the place. (laughs) If you're expecting eloquence, you have come to the wrong podcaster. I'm not not good with words either, so I'll keep up. Eloquence out the window. Today in Sunday school, we were talking a lot about the importance of missionary work and how it is an expectation for all the young men to serve. And I was just thinking a lot about like, you know, the commandments are an expectation. And the guy that was teaching, he made it a point to say, you know, sometimes people don't serve and it's an opportunity not to judge. But he also said, we have expectations to live the commandments. And are we? We're falling short. Why is it that like some 
opportunities to judge go further than others. You know, like um, if, if a person chooses not to serve a mission, they might get judged or labeled more so if I, who I did serve a mission or whatever, but I didn't fast or I didn't, I didn't filter my um, PG-13 movie. I know like small little mm-hmm. things, you know, Yeah. like all of us are, are falling short in some way because all of us are trying to live up to the expectation within the church specifically, the expectation is perfection to look to the savior for your, for your example. And mm-hmm. none of us are measuring up to it. Right. And so I think it's, it's just an interesting thought because I think it's good to have expectations. And I think that you are a unique person and that you can honor that there are expectations and you're just choosing not to live them. And therefore, what reason do you have to be bitter? Right. Uh, you know, and just like there's, there's a place for expectations to make us try a little harder to be a little better, you know, like that's kind of the reason that they're there. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, what are your thoughts on the role of expectations when it comes to the creation of people being judgmental? Yeah. Well, it's funny thoughts? because I kind of have two different thoughts because from, like you said, I've experienced it myself. When I first got to the Philippines, I was there because I was the youngest in my group of friends. All my friends left on their missions before me and I was the last one to go. And I just was excited because everybody else had gone. But then once I was there in the Philippines, in this foreign country where no one spoke English by myself, basically, I felt so alone. And I thought, I can't go home because everybody expects me to be here. Mm -hmm. And I can't disappoint them. You know, what's it going to look like when I show up sitting in church a month from now, everybody's going to judge me and everybody's going to judge my family. And I thought, I can't, I can't let them down. So I had this very, very trying couple of months on my mission just because I didn't want to let anybody down. And now being an adult and being raised in the church and so many of my family members are, are um, active in the church, I still get a little bit of the disappointment, you know, oh, maybe you should start taking your kids back to church or, oh, your kids don't know any primary songs, you know, and I, and I kind of feel bad because I know that the way that I was raised and the way that I was expected to be, I feel like I've almost turned my back on the church. And so I still carry a lot of guilt and a lot of shame when it comes to what people expect of me. And so I think like the biggest one for me, um, when my little brother got married, I didn't go to the temple. Uh, I didn't go to his ceiling, but my dad came out afterwards and said, you know, it's my goal to be in the temple with my wife and my five kids. And he just really made it obvious to me that because of me, he wasn't getting that goal that he wanted. And so the expectation of that was just excruciating because I knew that that was something that he wanted, but because of me, it was never going to happen. And so it's, it's hard to think, you know, am I going to live the way that somebody else wants me to live so I can let somebody else achieve their goals? Or do I have to have a reality check of my own expectations in my own life and what's right for me and what's Mm. right for my family? So it really, the, the, it's always kind of a, a difficult situation that's probably never going to go away. 
I love it. Okay. Sorry. I'm just writing down notes because I just have so much to say. <laughs> you said <laughs> okay. you had, you said you had two thoughts though. You're like, I kind of have two thoughts about expectations. Did you get, get it all out there? Well, yeah. The, the first was being a missionary. And then the second was being a married adult. Okay, cool. Well, then now I'm going to respond because I have so many thoughts. Okay. First okay. of all, from my experience and my beliefs are that there is absolutely no place for shame in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it's there, then it's like, mm -hmm. that's Satan, like get out. <laughs> so I just want to extend mm. my love towards you and, and my condolence that that played a role in how your experience with the church shaped your coming out, because really there's no place for shame in my religion, according to how my, I perceive it. And mm -hmm. that there's just no room for that in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm trying to be a little bit more cautious with my use of words, like always or never with absolutes, but I do believe that shame is always bad. And so that's an absolute that I do stand by. And I don't stand by absolutes lightly. Hmm. Another thing that I think was hmm. cool that you said, like, do I want to manage this other person's expectation or do I want to take ownership of expectations for myself? And for me, that was the conclusion yeah. I had in Sunday school a little bit. This is where you may or may not disagree, but I think that it's so wonderful that the Lord has expectations for us. The Lord has an expectation for all young men to go on a mission. And I thought, well, why does he have this expectation for everybody? What if they have a certain circumstance and what does that mean if they can't make it? And like the Lord knows, the Lord knows everybody. You know, these are my, all my beliefs, mm -hmm. the gospel according to Taylor. And I think mm -hmm. what I concluded was that the Lord gives us expectations because he is holding us to high standards because he loves us and wants to bless us. And therefore, when he says, here, here's a commandment to me, that means like, here's a way for a blessing. Like, here's a nugget of goodness for you. And so the one thing mm -hmm. that I thought was important was that you can't have an expectation be an external thing and have it mean what it needs to mean. You really nailed it when you took ownership of your expectations for your own life, because if you are trying to meet the expectations of another person and you're not taking any ownership of that expectation, but you're filling somebody else's expectation, I don't think what the Lord had in mind or intended is really happening there. Because if you're serving a mission per se, just, you know, to make your dad happy or proud of you and you're not actually right going because you have a belief that it's going to make you happy. I think that's more likely to lead to resentment because you're just doing this for an expectation that someone else had. I think that the Lord wants you to take ownership of expectations and do it out of a place of I'm trying to do this. I want to, I want to have this expectation for myself. Basically just that when you take ownership of your own expectations, that's what the Lord intended. No, I totally agree. And it's funny talking about like being a missionary, because I remember the first few months of feeling like I was really there for the wrong reason. I was there just solely out of expectation. But I think once I kind of got that out of my mind, then I was really able to enjoy it and serve. And the last, you know, 21 months of my mission were incredible mm -hmm. because I was able to get rid of someone else's expectation. And I was able to focus on the, the true reason why I was there. It wasn't yeah. for me. It wasn't for my dad. It was, you know, to serve the people of the Philippines. And I think once I kind of was able to make that shift in my mind a little bit, it completely changed the, the rest of my mission without yeah. question. 
Yeah. And then it becomes beautiful. And in no ways am I saying like, I don't think you should go if it's an expectation on you and you don't want to, because I think that that, that process can, there's, there's time, you know, for you, like it maybe started like that and then it turned into something else. So I'm I'm not trying to tell people not to go on missions, you know, but I'm, what I am saying is it's so much more what the Lord intended when you realize that you're doing this for you and not for somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I remember having this thought on my mission that you can go on a mission for the wrong reason, but I think being on a mission then turns into being there for the right reason, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, the, the, the reason that you went isn't important. I think it's the reason why you're there and the, re- and the way that you finish. So even if you start out not wanting to be there at all, I think for me anyway, just because I was able to just completely immerse myself in, in the missionary work, it it turned completely positive for me. Well, that's awesome. Okay. Now, if we can read the uh, gospel topics, there's not like all of it. We can kind of stop and pause, but there were a lot of things in here that I thought were worth mentioning, especially um, the beginning here. They kind of redefine what it means to judge says judgment is an important use of our agency and requires great care, especially when we make judgments about other people. All our judgments must be guided by righteous standards and only God who knows each individual's heart can make final judgments of individuals. Okay, this part. Sometimes people feel that it is wrong to judge others in any way. While it is true that we should not condemn others or judge them unrighteously, we need to make judgments of ideas, situations, and people throughout our lives. The Lord has given us many commandments that we cannot keep without making judgments. And then it just... I think about that and I'm like, okay, yeah. Like if the Lord is telling me, you got to make sure that you're in a place where you feel the spirit and I'm not using yeah. my judgment in a situation to know if I'm feeling the spirit or not, I can't keep that commandment because I have to use my judgment to ascertain whether or not this is up to my standard. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. That just kind of was a light bulb moment for me when you said judgment of ideas, it's completely different than judgment of like a physicality, but judgment of ideas, I think is also very important and also very helpful when you're kind of navigating your way, your way through life. It's true because I don't think my mom was wrong to judge the idea of doing drugs around her children mm-hmm. as a being right. a bad idea. And it also says that it is not our place at all. It's true. We should not condemn others. And I think that's the misunderstood usage of the word judge there when people are like, Oh, you can't, you're mm-hmm. judging me. You can't judge me. It's good to judge. It's bad to condemn. Yeah. That's awesome. And then it says we need to make judgments of people in many of our important decisions, such as choosing friends, voting for government leaders, choosing a spouse. And all of this just makes me be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. Oh. Another thing that they talk about in the gospel talk was about judgment is the whole scripture about why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but not considerest the beam that is in thine own eye, which harkens more into how people are talking about judging today, which I think we've done a pretty good job discussing being condemning. And I think that um, that scripture is a really good one in addressing that. I'm going to read here again saying in this scripture passage, the Lord teaches that a fault we see in another is often like a tiny speck in that person's eye compared to our own faults, which are like an enormous beam in our eyes. Sometimes we focus on others faults when we should instead be working to improve ourselves. If you want to tie it back to expectations, 
think about your expectations for yourself and not the expectations for another person or from another person. Really, I think when we focus on the expectations for ourselves, we're not going to be as tempted to condemn other people because we don't know what their expectations are, nor is it our place to condemn them for not meeting them. Absolutely. So no, yeah. I think that's I think that's important too because when you are putting yourself in a place where you're meeting standards or whatever, I think you don't have time to judge other people if you're working on yourself. So yeah, it's I think not really that's on a your great mind. thing. Right, right. I think that's a great thing. I think it was also Mother Teresa who said when you spend all your energy on loving somebody, you don't have any time left over to judge them, which is a really beautiful concept. It's less about thinking about managing your own expectations. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of goes hand in hand because when you're trying to manage somebody else's standards or worthiness, is that really loving them? (laughs) You know, I, I think that's just kind of managing them. It's not trusting them. It's not really honoring their agency, but when you love them, you're giving them that space to make their own decisions and you're trusting them and you're honoring their agency. Right. And you happen to be working on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think I struggled with that a little bit because when I, you know, came home from my mission and I really felt like, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. And anybody who wasn't holding the same standards that I was holding I was disappointed in them. And I, you know, look back at that and I think, who am I to have disappointment in somebody else for leading their own path in life? I think that can actually be dangerous to have that much judgment on on someone else. I agree. And I'm curious about where that comes from. And I think it kind of goes back to expectations. Yeah. I I think especially when it comes to family members and if your family member starts to live different standards from you and you had an expectation for them that they would be living the standards that you hoped that they would, then you're really upset. And that's really understandable, honestly. And I I kind of want to tie it back into like, God has expectations for us because he loves us and he wants to be happy. And I think that's why it happens. That's why we judge others. Like we have expectations for somebody else because we love them and we want them to be happy, but we just have to put ourselves in check. Like expectations don't come from me. They come from the Lord. Yeah. It's not really my place and I can love them and I can want them to be happy, but I think the best thing that you can do, and this is also a gospel quote. I don't know if you know where it comes from, you know, the quote that says it's our job to teach correct principles and let them govern themselves. Mm -hmm. You've heard that. I have heard it. I don't know where, where, I don't know where it comes from either though. I was listening to another podcast recently where a woman was, everyone was saying, you're being a little bit too judgmental. You're talking about modesty and it sounds like you're coming off hoity-toity. And she said, well, what Mm -hmm. am I supposed to do but teach correct principles and let others govern themselves? Or someone said to her, don't you know you're just supposed to teach correct principles and let others govern themselves? And she like went back and listened and she thought, well, isn't that what I did? And so I think sometimes it's hard because people are more likely to get offended if it's something they're passionate about. Maybe, maybe somebody is just trying to teach correct principles and let you govern themselves. And maybe that's all they're doing. So try not to judge that person. Uh, They're probably coming from a place of love. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And I, again, like how you were saying, you know, when people look at me and they're doing that mental calculation, 
your first thought could be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Or you can just be like, boom, judgment reversal. I'm not going to be offended right now. Yeah, I, I, I definitely try to. I just, Carrie and I are in our 50s and, you know, we're just, we're just too old and tired for that, I guess. <laughs> we just, you know, we just, um, we just do the best we can. And if people want to be around us and want to be friends with us, so that's great. And if we just don't meet into other people's realities, and that's fine too. I agree. We're probably going to wrap it up, but I just want to let you have a chance to leave any concluding thoughts and then I can leave some concluding thoughts. Okay. And thank you for your time. Quickly. So how, what, what do you want to end with? I just want to commend you first of all, because when I heard about this podcast, I immediately thought, oh, this is something that I am interested in because I think it relates not only to me and my family, but also in the gay community. I have met so many people that are XLDS whose family has completely disowned them. And I just can't even believe how lucky Carrie and I are that we haven't experienced that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many people, you know, fighting for equal rights and, you know, just in so many different categories. And I can't even tell you how fortunate I have been, you know, being a member of the church and then transitioning to a member of the gay community. And I have felt nothing but love from both sides. Even when I left the church, you know, people have still just been nothing but supportive. And to me, what you're doing is just so important because it, I think it kind of lets people know that you don't have to judge somebody if they leave the church. You don't have to know the reason why. All you have to do is love them. And I have been nothing but a recipient of that love from so many people. So I just am so grateful that even though my life is nowhere where I thought it was going to be, I still feel like I'm important and I matter and I'm loved. And I think for me, that's just really what I tried to do from the very beginning. And I'm still trying to do it every day. That's awesome. That makes me happy. I'm glad that you've always been so supported and love that you're such a bridge builder. I don't know if I have any profound concluding thoughts, but I just think it would be important for me to attempt to debunk what I think is a popular opinion, which I don't, I don't say is unfounded, but I feel like there's so much push on church culture for being the most judgmental, hoity-toity mean, uh, con- mm-hmm. condemning, you know, And I agree that there are members that do that, but I think I could find like one hoity-toity condemning member for like 20 people that aren't at all that way. It's just, it's an opportunity for people who might have that feeling towards members of my church, an opportunity for you not to judge us because we're all different people. I hope that that invites some of our listeners to consider their 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 snap judgment <laughs> and try and get to know a person before mm-hmm, absolutely mm-hmm, absolutely all right well thanks again for doing this it's been a long time coming and i'm just glad we were able to get you on here so absolutely thank you so much i've been really looking forward to it and it's been a pleasure talking with you today so thank you for everything you're doing thanks all righty people i'm here with the tidbits and takeaways and there are many i feel like we hardly scratched the surface with the topic of judgment, so I've broken it down. Simple tidbits and long, thoughtful takeaways. Tidbits. Judging good, condemning bad. 
Remember, our expectations slash standards or morals are not the same across the board universally. Considerest thou not the beam in thine own eye? Try not to clump all the anti-standards, meaning, oh, druggist, oh, rapist, oh, everything bad. Remember, every person is a person. Scott says he can now control the way that he reacts. That made me think of our other episode, Act and React, featuring Daniel Mickelson, could be a good resource for some of you listeners. Go take a look at that if you're interested. Don't expect people to be where you are when it took you so long to adjust after a paradigm shift. Give others time. When you judge somebody so quickly, your sample size contains very flawed data on the personhood of that person you're judging. And I think my favorite tidbit, internal expectations hit harder than external ones. On to the takeaways. So Scott was, as he said, always ready to rip someone a new one. And I think how nice that it never happened. How nice that nobody ever came up to him and said, I can't handle that you're gay and can you, could you not be gay? And because you're gay, this makes me mad about this and this and these are my reasons. And it happens sometimes. And when it does happen, how does it even help anyway? How? Just think about that. And I am telling you from the words of Michael Jackson. (laughs) If you're considering trying to make the world a better place and that's your approach, take the advice right here. If you want to make the world a better place, look look at yourself and then make the change. Motivational, right? Okay. We all judge based off what we see at first. And um, here's my invitation, actually. All joking aside. When you think you're about to judge somebody, I encourage you to judge them even more. I encourage you to gather more information about them, continue to assess them, judge them, judge them as much as you can by gathering more information. And then maybe you'll be able to judge them more accurately. By the way, don't condemn them while you're judging them. Don't condemn them at all. (laughs) Remember, judging good, condemning bad. I love how Scott says, I can turn it back and be friendly when I see other people judging me. I can recognize my initial reaction to be defensive and instead do a judgment reversal. Just use that opportunity whenever you see it. Do a judgment reversal. Ha-cha! When people are teaching you about principles or standards or expectations that they have, consider that an opportunity not to judge them about judging you. Okay, here is... So Scott said his dad had this goal that all of his kids would be in the temple with him one day. My thoughts here. The question, is it healthy to have a goal that somebody's agency could potentially influence? I think maybe a hope would have been a better option. Or if he was going to have a goal or an expectation, maybe his goal would be for him to do all that he can for his kids to be in the temple. But ultimately, the goal for him... I think, should be focused on his own actions and not the actions of others. Food for thought. Ask yourself, what are the purpose of standards in my life? What are the purpose of expectations? And are they internal right now? Are they external? My two cents. God, who ultimately loves and trusts us, has given us both free agency. He doesn't manage our choices. He gives us agency. 
and he does give us expectations and he sets standards, but it's okay for him to do it because he's God. So that's like his domain, not ours. Thanks so much, guys. I have one more thought to leave you with, which is I really do have more stories like the one I told you about my little brother, Davis. I've got a couple. Do you? Do you have stories like that? Take a moment and ponder and reflect on those. Maybe write them down. Go share them with a friend. Post them on social media after a lot of consideration. You know, maybe along with a link to this episode. And do your very best to consider what you've heard today. Hope you become a better person for it. All right, bye. Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you like what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. When you all start crashing.